Hello, gorgeous. You're listening to the Everyday Style School podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Mackey Mary, and I've been dressing real women just like you for over 20 years. Now I'm on a mission to teach women around the world how to create easy, effortless style without confusion and overwhelm. If you're ready to create a wardrobe you love and feel confident every day so you can live the life you want, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey ladies, welcome back to the Everyday Style School podcast. Today we are talking about my favorite subject, getting rid of stuff. Whether it's your closet or your house, decluttering is so important. When you get rid of what isn't working, you create space, both physical and mental, to figure out what you really need and really love, and you value what you keep even more. Now we've talked a lot on the show about decluttering, both in my episodes on editing your closet like a pro and about the KonMari method, but today we're talking about another approach, one you might have heard of but might not know much about, and one you might even have thought, wait, is that for real? Indeed it is, friends, and today we are talking about the decluttering approach known as Swedish death cleaning. It sounds a little bit morbid, but it might change how you look at your relationship to things. Now, I'm a bit of a de facto expert when it comes to Swedish death cleaning, which I'll share more about later, but I decided to have a real decluttering expert share what Swedish death cleaning is and the principles behind it, as well as how we can use the ideas in our lives to change our relationship to things. Katie Wells is a declutter expert and host of a top 100 podcast, The Maximize Minimalist. Her goal is to help women simplify their lives and trade stress and overwhelm for peace and joy so they can focus on what matters most. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Everyday Style School. Hi, Jen. So glad to be here. So I just want to tell everybody that we just recorded an interview with me for your podcast. And after it ended, we just kept chatting and the conversation was so good. We thought, well, wait, (laughs) this is another episode. We should actually record this. So here we are. And I don't know which one's going to air first, but I will both share the link to the other one. And so listen to part, either one could be part one or part two, but listen to them both because they're both going to be great. For sure. All right. So first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you became a declutter expert. Definitely. Well, my um, declutter journey really started back in 2016. Um, At that point, I had two kids under two, two years old. I had an 18 month old and a newborn and I was working full time. And this was the first time in my life where I really started to notice um, in a really really impactful way, how negatively clutter was impacting me. And, um, again, I was working full time and one day when it really dawned on me, how clutter was impacting me is when I got home from work and I was so excited to go play with my little boys inside who I missed all day um, while I was working. And I pulled into my garage and I started to feel my heart race. I, my, my, palms were getting really sweaty and I was having a hard time breathing. And I was like, what's, what's happening here? And, uh, lo and behold, this was my first anxiety attack and I couldn't even get out of my car. And so I'm, you know, my mind's racing and I'm like, this, this isn't adding up, you know, I'm excited to be home and see my kids. So why am I having an anxiety attack? And I realized in that moment 
that the reason I was having so much stress and anxiety was because I felt like I was walking into a second full-time job, which was just managing all the crap inside my house, right? I knew I was walking into my home straight into a kitchen full of dirty dishes that I could never keep up with, right? Baby gear, toys scattered all, all over the floor. I'm days behind in laundry. And it was so stress and anxiety inducing for me. And I, I share the story a lot, but when they were really little and I was working full time, of course, like I really made a, even more effort to connect with them when I was home with them because I was gone a lot working. And even in those moments where I was here, you know, playing on the living room floor with them, my mind was always somewhere else. And I felt this constant pull and constant nagging voice in my head that said, Katie, you should really get up and start doing dishes. You should really pack their lunches for tomorrow. You should really handle all that laundry you're behind in, right? This nagging voice. And it was so so frustrating. I'm like, give me two minutes voice inside my head. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to play with the boys. And just on top of everything, the chronic stress and anxiety I had on a day-to-day -day basis, every day felt like groundhog day. I was becoming more and more depressed. And I felt like, I felt like to be truly frank, I felt like I was failing as a mom, as a wife, and like, as a human, like, I was like, this is not the motherhood I really was expecting. And, um, so again, in that moment, I was like, okay, let's declutter, let's get organized and just trying to use my own methods and just, you know, going at it on my own. It was like one step forward, two steps back constantly. Um, part of that was because of the season of motherhood I was in, but the other part was just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then one day I had this epiphany and I was like, hold up. I watched this amazing documentary from the minimalists, those two gentlemen who I think are now married, but when they recorded that first documentary, they were bachelors, didn't have kids. And I really was like a lot of these concepts are talking about make perfect sense, um, but it felt very black and white to me in a lot of ways. You know, how is it going to work, you know, in my life with two kids and a full-time job? So I really took a lot of the concepts they talked about and said, you know what, I'm going to go one step further than decluttering for a goal. I'm going to, you know, hop on this minimalist bandwagon. And instead of living by these black and white concrete rules that these guys made up, <laughs> I'm going to make it work for the modern day mom for me. And that's really when things started to shift to change and progress started to be made. Um, and uh, it was just such a really cool transformation. And what I love about decluttering is a lot of these positive benefits that you receive from simply letting go of stuff. It doesn't take a long time to feel those. Like you can literally listen to this podcast. If, if your listeners grab a bag and just start filling it up with stuff. And 10 minutes later, they can get rid of that bag and they will feel better, right? It's not like you need to exercise for four to six weeks, five days a week right, until right. you notice like, oh, hey, I look different or my pants are fitting differently, right? You can literally spend five, 10 minutes and feel some of that impact. And so for 18 months or so, I was just gung-ho, this is going to work for me. And I didn't stop. And I'm telling you the transformation I had, Jen, was so much more impactful than I thought it would ever be. My clutter-induced stress and anxiety were completely gone. And for someone who dealt with stress and anxiety on such a high level for every day for years, I mean, gosh, what a huge blessing. And then because my mental health, you know, started to shift as a result of letting go of a lot of this clutter, my motherhood shifted. I, my relationships with my kids are on a completely different level because I had the time and energy to invest in them, to spend with them. I didn't feel called and pulled away, you know, to do a household chores when I played with them. My relationship with my husband changed with myself. I was able to take better care of myself and invest more. Um, and really at the end of the day, 
start to understand what do I value in life and are the decisions I'm making and choices I'm making each day helping me reach those values or getting me further away. So it's so much more intentional than just, oh, I'm just going to get rid of some stuff and hopefully feel better. Um, but it was just uh, really life transforming for me. And after that, I was like, I have to get this message out to other people. Um, and so, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I love that. I want to go back to what you were talking about with watching that documentary and the black and white rules that these guys made up. And, you know, we all make things up. That's, that's how we put our stamp on what we do, yes. but they didn't necessarily resonate with you in your own life because, you know, two guys without kids or in toys and Legos have very, very different challenges than, than yes. moms with kids and Legos and beauty products and, and all that good stuff. And so you sort of created your own definition of minimalism. What does minimalism mean to you? First, let me start off by saying a lot of people, when they think of minimalism, it's like, okay, I'm a minimalist. So they just get rid of stuff for the sake of having less mm -hmm. just because, well, that's what a minimalist is. It's like, oh, I can only have five pairs of socks or three pairs of shoes or only, you know, have what fits in a suitcase or capsule wardrobes or all these things, right. That kind of pop in yeah. people's heads as far as images. But to me, it's just, just really living and like I said earlier, choosing and these everyday choices we make that either get us closer to the life we want or the life we don't. And if minimalism, I'm, I use it as a vehicle or as a tool to help me get to that life that I want. Not, you know, it's not the destination at the end. It's a tool I use. Um, so that's really the lens I use when I'm talking about minimalism. I like that definition that it is, it's the vehicle. It's not the destination. I have worked with clients in the past who were so just hell bent on being minimalist and only having a, a completely arbitrary number of pieces in their wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And they really struggled to get there. And I think that our relationship with stuff goes one of two ways, either our things serve us or we serve our things. And the more things you have, the more it takes to manage them. So I really understand the point of getting rid of things that you don't need that are extraneous that you don't even like. I totally get that. But I think that some people take minimalism to the other extreme. If you are struggling to get dressed every single day because you don't have that one pair of shoes that you really need to, to make everything kind of come together or that one pair of pants, because that would put you over your self-imposed item <laughs> limit. Yes. To me, that's you serving your stuff too. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I really like when I saw your podcast name, the maximized minimalist, I'm like that I can get behind like that oh. to me, <laughs> it doesn't feel restrictive. And I think minimalism for a lot of people just feels restrictive or it feels like a really nice, nice concept. But then when it comes to getting rid of all the things people would think you have to get rid of to be a minimalist, they're like, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. And just being a part of, you know, these moms groups on Facebook, you know, I see posts every day from moms are like, okay, how many pairs of shoes can I have? How many bras can I have to be considered a minimalist? Is this too many? And I'm like, girl, you're looking at it from the complete wrong perspective yeah. here. And you're still, you're still trapped by your stuff. It's just yes. from a different, from yeah. a different side of the token, right? You're <laughs> serving your things rather yes. than serving you. If you're yeah. asking how many can I have? you're, you're following a rule yes, rather than a principle. Right. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So we're not talking about minimalism today. We are talking about Swedish <laughs> death cleaning. 
which is, by the way, if, if people don't know, there is a book called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. It is by Margareta Magnuson. We will link to it in our show notes. But Katie, can you give, give us just a super quick overview of what Swedish death cleaning is? Yeah, for sure. So basically in a nutshell, Swedish death cleaning is the process of organizing and decluttering your belongings with your end in mind, right? With, you know, before you die with death in mind. And practically speaking, like someone has to figure out what to do with all of our mm -hmm. stuff when we aren't here. So, you know, the idea behind this book is why not let that be you and me? Like, why not let that be us? And I know a lot of people, like you said, when they hear Swedish death cleaning, they're like, oh, that sounds really depressing or sad. But I think kind of maybe a reframe here would be on the contrary. It can be really freeing and empowering to let go of what I think in most cases we already know we need to let go of anyway, right? Yeah. That excess. So we can create more abundance and comfort and create the simpler life that I think a lot of us really want anyway. Totally agree. I said in the opening that I'm sort of a de facto expert in this topic <laughs> because when the book came out, lots of people were sending me the link. Like, have you seen this? Oh my gosh, check this out. And maybe it's because I love helping people get rid of things and my Scandinavian heritage is, is really strong. People just figured it would be right up my alley. And honestly, it was the first time that I realized not everyone did this. Like this was not the absolute norm. This was a completely normal part of my childhood. Like my grandparents getting rid of things with death in mind, with their next mm. phase or lack of phase of life yeah. in mind. It wasn't in a morbid way, but it was kind of with an eye toward the future and taking care of things so that others didn't have to. So my grandmother, she completely planned her own funeral so that other people didn't have to down to the program. And, you know, most people don't have funny stories about their grandmother's funeral, but she really liked the program from her sisters. She, it was like in a binder, like, here you go. Here's my funeral planned in a nutshell. But she wrote on her sister's, her program, use my picture instead. Oh. <laughs> like we would have just printed you know, right, great right. Phyllis's program, <laughs> but it, it was, nobody had to make a decision in that difficult mm, time. Nobody right. had to deal with that because she had already kind of, she'd taken care of everything and not to paint a whole group of people with a really broad brush. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a practicality in Scandinavian culture that often trumps sentimentality. Mm -hmm. And it makes it easier to think about the end of life and not in a sad way, not in a oh, doomsday way, but, you know, just as a practical matter. And it makes handling some of the things that we don't want to think about a little bit easier. Do you think there are lessons that, that we can learn from that? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, first of all, that was a, your, your, as your grandma, you said, yeah, did that. What a great sense of humor, right? <laughs> I, but I don't think she was trying to be funny. I, I really think she meant we would have like from a lo logistic <laughs> perspective, just yes. in case anyone forgets, use my picture. Insert yeah, exactly. picture here. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, just that process to save your significant other, like you mentioned, or family and friends from having to decide, you know, with what to do with all your belongings while, you know, they're grieving because yeah. I've seen my mom go through that when she lost her mom. It's just, it's this massive wave you're hit with. And then on top of that, it's go through all these things. My, one of my best friends lost her parent pretty unexpectedly about three years ago. And with the timing of things, she could only take two days off work and mm. 
I mean, that house needed to be cleaned out within like days for whatever reason. And so literally she was forced to get a dumpster and spend two days literally just throwing everything out. She didn't know what was important to her mom. She didn't know nothing was organized in a way that, that my friend could even locate something she knew that her mom owned. And she came back from that trip, first of all, still grieving more than ever because she, she, she couldn't find anything she wanted to hold on to. And it was just, it was so heart and gut wrenching to see, to see her go through that. And I know that's left a big imprint on her and, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting point that you made that she didn't know what was important to her mom because you think, well, okay, your mom is gone you know, I guess you get to decide what's important, but there is something about that. You don't want to just toss things that were valuable to her. Mm -hmm. That's really an interesting point. I look at it, you know, my, my dad lives far from me and he and his wife travel all the time, but I have a binder of exactly what to do if, and when something happens to them, like these are the people that you call, here's the, you know, code to the, like everything Mm. is so taken care of. They travel a lot. They have insurance if they pass away in a foreign country to get their remains back here. Like we don't have to think of a thing. We don't have to figure anything out, out at all. And there is just sort of a, a peace of mind about that. And, you know, obviously I hope nothing does happen to them, but they're getting older and to not have to even think about, oh my gosh, who do I call? Who is there? You know, what bank are they at? What I don't have to go through a single thing. I've got all the phone numbers right there. Like it's really a gift that mm-hmm. that they have given to us, not to not to make us think of all that stuff. But yeah, I would have no idea, like going through my mom's house, what was really, really important to her. And so I think if you just keep the things that are really important to you and let the rest go people know, and they, they don't have to, they don't have to try and figure that out at a time. That's really, really stressful to begin with. Right. And on the other side of that, you know, with the Swedish death cleaning, it's not only, you know, keeping things that matter to you right now. One of my favorite actually tips in in that book was to create this quote unquote throwaway box. Basically you fill, you know, that box or bin with items that mean a lot to you, but they're probably not going to mean anything to anyone else in your yeah. family. That way, when you pass on, it's like, okay, great. You basically have this almost like a will of what to do with your stuff. Like you can label the box, throw away when I'm gone. But in the meantime, you might know, listen, if I want to go, just go in the garage and open that bin and look through my memories, you know, I can do that, but I'm not, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot more clear, just like you said, for what family members need to do with what, um, you know, when I'm gone. And I, and I think there's a lot of empowerment to that. Maybe that's because I'm far into my simplifying journey. Um, it's freeing, I think to a lot of, a lot of people in the situation. Yeah. I also think that growing up, I don't remember any of my family members having an attachment to things maybe we're just not sentimental people on, on really any level. Um, but if I were at my grandma's house and said, Oh, I really like this. She'd say, Oh, just take it. Like if it could give somebody else joy and get it out of her house, she was really thrilled with that. And every time I go to my mom's house, she's like, Hey, will you take the China today? Like she understands that this is not her phase of life to be cooking these huge Thanksgiving dinners and all that stuff. And it is my phase of life. So here, take it, use it. If if it can be of use to somebody and get it out of her house, why not start now? And there is sort of just this understanding again, because this is how I grew up 
that we are preparing for a next phase. Yeah. And none of my grandparents, when, when all of them passed, there was no house to go through. They had really gotten rid of everything that wasn't absolutely essential or really, really important. And we've, we've never had to spend those days going through things like, mm. you know, even my dad's house, I could probably be out of there in two hours. You know? because, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. It's really, they could have written this is this just book. how we do. I know that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, this is just how we do. So it was crazy to me that not everybody does this. And I think of like movies where people are like, Oh, now we have to go through the house. Yes. Yeah. No, we don't do that. And thankfully we haven't had anyone pass away unexpectedly. Cause I think that that is a different, yes. Um, a different yeah. story, but you know, my grandma was probably in her sixties when she started giving things away. So it was a very, very long journey of, of decluttering to that point. So part of the book, really the book is about not burdening other mm-hmm. people with your stuff, right. In those last days or after you've passed away, not making people go through that house or try and figure out what's important. But I feel like we burden people with our stuff a lot during our lifetimes too. Can you think of, or share some other ways that we burden people with our things? Definitely. You know, I just recorded a podcast on this, which hopefully will be out when this one airs, but, um, you know, I think for a lot of people and myself included, this has not changed since I, you know, started the simplifying journey I'm on, but it's truly, and this I think goes for most people. Let me know if this is you too, Jen, that even if you're not really attached to an item emotionally or whatever, it can really ease the guilt that some of us feel by giving it to yes. someone we know, or yes. even if it's a stranger and it's like, if you're a part of your local buy nothing group, which by the way, are amazing. You can find one in your area, just google.com and type buy B U Y nothing group. And then your town there's they're in over 30 nations. And I use mine all the time. If I post something and it's usually gone within 24 to 48 hours. And, you know, it's people in your town who want your stuff. It's really, it's really cool way to connect to. Um, but even if it's someone you don't know, it eases that guilt when someone comes up to my porch and takes, you know, these toys that we no longer need. And I think that's really big and important for a lot of people because, you know, just like we talked about on our episode, when we own something, the perceived value of it goes up and it's like, almost like, Oh, you want to see your baby go to a good home. (laughs) And so what better way to ease that than by dropping it off at your sister's or passing it off to someone else in town who you actually know wants it. Yeah. I think when, what I've seen from clothes a lot is people say, Oh, this is too nice to donate. Yes. And (laughs) I'm so perplexed by this one because it's like, well, Okay. Well, I mean, so we are only donating our crappy things. Like that doesn't make sense to me at all. (laughs) The other thing I have seen is hand-me-downs, hand-me-downs from oddly enough, mothers-in-law. I I could Mm -hmm. not wear my mother-in-law's clothes because she's like 4'11 and I'm like 5'9. So this does not work out on any level, but even so my mother-in-law and I don't share the same style whatsoever. (laughs) Right. But mothers-in-law and moms and sisters do a lot of hand-me-downs to Mm -hmm. other people. And when I've been in closets cleaning them out, what I see is the woman who doesn't want to get rid of something that somebody else gave to her. Mm -hmm. And so the mother-in-law or mother, whoever, has not given a valuable gift. They've given their burden. They've given 
you know, it's, it's kind of like brush your hands of it. Like, Oh, it's out of my house. Well, now it's in somebody else's. Exactly. What do you do with that stuff? What, what do you recommend people do with the things that people have given them, but they don't, you know, they're not their style. They're not their, mm-hmm. they, they don't need it. What should they do with it? Well, I have a really funny story I'd like to insert here. So on that note of people giving you stuff that you don't really particularly want, we have our neighbors next to us in their mid seventies, early eighties. And, you know, we're in Asheville, North Carolina. She's from the South. She is just sweet as pie, you know, like just the sweetest old lady. And one day I was taking a walk and she kind of waved me to come over and she's got this bag in her hand and she goes, honey, I was just at Kmart. They had this amazing sale. You know, I can't pass up a good deal. She gives me this bag. I don't open it. She goes, this is for you. So I said, okay, this is intriguing. She doesn't know what I do for a living. And I still haven't told her, (laughs) but I take the bag back to my house and I open it. And Jen, there are two training bras in there. Or like that would literally fit maybe a 10 or 12 year old. And I'm like, okay, first of all, this is hilarious. Cause I, I have, a, I just have a sense of humor. I'm very small yeah. busted. And uh, yeah. So it's just like, this is just too much. Right. And I'm like, wait, you can't pass up a good deal. So you just bought me training bras. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh my gosh. And, and so whether it's your neighbor giving you training bras or your mother-in-law or mom or sister, you know, maybe kind of coming into this with an assumptive you you'll wear this right. Or you'll want this, right. I think just opening up that conversation and trying to set up a a stronger boundary there first. And, you know, that could even start with like, Hey, you know, Hey sister, uh, you know, I really appreciate that you brought these clothes over, but I'm really struggling with the amount of clothes I already have. Do you know anyone else that might really benefit from these, you know, just starting the conversation there. And I think coming to a point where, when you're setting that boundary where you can kind of agree on it together. And that might be like, Hey, next time you're, you're thinking about bringing some stuff my way, do you mind texting me first? That way, you know, I know I have room for it or we'll use it because I I really want this to go to a good home versus like, you know, sister, stop, you know, dumping your junk off because we don't see our stuff as junk. Even if we don't want it, we can't, it's hard for a lot of us to go. This is junk. Right. Cause that would kind of also mean doing like a gut check of wait, I bought junk. So my taste isn't good or I made a mistake. Right. It kind of, it kind of can spiral us down, uh, somewhere deep, but yeah, like getting to having that conversation, just open-ended, not like pointing, blaming fingers. And just, I think it can be a really beautiful thing when you can come to that kind of meeting in the middle. Yeah. I just think that in an effort to alleviate some of our own guilt of wasting money and, you know, honoring the value of our own items, we feel like giving it to somebody we know is Mm -hmm. a, is a kinder thing, but often people we know are going to be a lot less likely to get rid of it. Right. Like, you know, training bras from your neighbor who you don't know. Well, those are probably an easy item to part with, but you know, if it's somebody who's in your house a lot, or, you know, will say, Oh, Hey, do you love that sweater? I gave you a lot of women feel guilt about getting rid of the things that have been given to them. And I always call those clothes that happen to you. And I've seen some of my clients have entire wardrobes of clothes that happen to them. Mm-hmm. And they're not their style. They're not things they're p- they picked. They're not things that were bought with intention. They're just kind of clothes that happen to them. And they wonder why their style doesn't come together. Well, let's let's start there. So maybe the advice to everyone listening is don't do that. Don't, don't alleviate your own guilt yes. and your own burden by giving it to somebody 
you know, first of all, or even somebody you don't know. And one thing we were chatting about after we wrapped the other interview was that a lot of people don't understand what happens to their stuff when they give it to an organization like Goodwill mm-hmm. or, you know, any of these other donation organizations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think the numbers are staggering. Every time I look, they're only more staggering, but globally, 80% of discarded textiles are ending up in the landfill or incineration. And only 20% of items that were dropping off at Goodwill actually get reused or recycled or sold. And, uh, you know, this, it's just, I don't even like saying these stats because it make ugh, it just doesn't make me feel good. But the clothing that ends up in the landfills can sit there for 200 plus years yeah. and it emits methane and, you know, which is a greenhouse gas. And it's just, ugh, it, it, it hurts my heart, you know, from kids and the world and future kids. So I think just to help with this, and I know you talk a lot about this and on your podcast and all the amazing content you provide, it's just commit to, you know, you might say honing into your style and figuring out what you actually want versus wearing the clothes that happen to you. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us, that means commit to buying less and make what you have last longer. I used to be the queen of any minute issue, like a little snag or a little stain that I was too lazy to get rid of. I just feel like, Oh, I can buy a new one. Right. Clothes are made so cheaply now that it's like, what's 10 bucks when, you know, if I took this to get it fixed, it would maybe cost two or three, but it's like, it's so automatic and ingrained. Like, you know, we want the quick fix. And, you know, unfortunately that means a lot of us just tossing um, out these clothes that can be, you know, used a lot longer, invest in quality pieces, you know, donating to local charities and thrift shops, women's shelters, even animal shelters. Sometimes, and this isn't clothing related, but take like blankets and sheets and um, pillows and things that we might otherwise be taking to goodwill and end up in the landfill. And then from a clothing, back to the clothing perspective, reselling, I'm a huge fan. I almost only buy all secondhand now at this point. And I love it. I love it for a lot of different reasons, but I use Poshmark a lot Mm -hmm. and I've had great success. I've made hundreds of dollars and found some really great investment pieces for a fraction of the price. And a lot of them like are still new with tags, which is like, I still like getting getting a good deal. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And it's like, even though I don't have a lot, it's just like, how cool is it? Like, I don't know if you're, I'm, we're both from the Midwest originally, but there's this joke or meme that goes around. I see it on Facebook every once in a while. That's like, you know, you're from the Midwest when a comp, you know, a girlfriend compliments you on your shirt and you're like, thanks. I got it on sale for five bucks. Right. Like that's like a bragging, right? Yeah. (laughs) So those are kind of maybe some tips for your listeners to just, you know, consider and hoping, you know, that we just don't have to send as much to, to Goodwill. Cause there's only so much they can do, right. They can yeah. sell overseas to China or wherever. And then it's in a landfill there a lot of times. And it's just, it's just this vicious cycle. And so if we can, as one person or one family do our part and just do these two or three tips, gosh, how's that going to impact our future, you know, great grandchildren and gosh, millions of people. Yeah. I also think we need to stop looking at those, uh, recycling options or secondhand donation options as our easy way out. Mm -hmm. Because again, you're just transferring the problem to somebody else. Like Mm -hmm. goodwill does not need your broken TV. They truly, truly do not need your broken TV. They would either have to invest the time and resources to fix it, which they're not going to do because they have 
hundreds of thousands of other people donating their broken TVs, or they have to donate their resources to get rid of it. So I think that those places oftentimes are just a catch-all. I was sorting clothes for um, a, a local like community clothing, clothing closet with my daughter. Uh, this was years ago, but I had taken her and it was just basically like throw women's here, kids here, men's here. So we're going through these things and what people had put for donation to a local community closet, like they were men's undershirts that were, they had basically disintegrated. They had completely mm. disintegrated. Okay. Well now this organization that exists off of volunteer hours. I mean, they had zero budget. Now we have to figure out what to do with this stuff. Yes. So there are, there are clothing recycling places you can look up online. Mm -hmm. Um, in my episode on creating a a wardrobe, that's kind of the planet. I do have a, a list of resources that I will, that I'll link back to, but H and M takes donated clothing. They will take it for recycling purposes. They will take it in absolutely any condition. There are a lot of places that take those things, but it is a little bit more effort. And a lot of us just really want the easy way. And I'm guilty of it too. I want that to be easy. When you're ready to get rid of your stuff, you're not like, well, let me spend a half a day figuring out how I can (laughs) responsibly get rid of this stuff. But you know, you own it. It's, it's your problem to deal with. So don't make other people, especially volunteer organizations, spend time and resources getting rid of your things. That's right. Yeah. The state of California, the goodwills in California alone, just at one state spent $7 million. I think it was last year, just in getting the stuff out that they weren't able to resell because people put so little thought into, you know, what, is this even usable? Yeah. Um, and so that's imagine what that would be even on a local level. Right. And these, a lot of these local charities don't have, you know, the staff or the money to figure out what to do with all this stuff. So yeah, it's just, like you said, it can become someone else's burden very quickly. Yeah. And when it comes to clothes, there are so many more secondhand donated clothes than there are people who want those secondhand donated clothes. And one thing I see happen a lot is that people hang on to things way past the time that they are current or, you know, in good condition or all of those things. And then they donate them. Well, you know, your, your low rise flare jeans are going to sit there next to a pair of very current jeans. Mm -hmm. Which one are people going to take? Which one are people going to buy? They're going to take the current things. So really, if you have waited, if you've left things in your closet for 10 years and you're like, well, now I'll donate them. They're pretty much useless, which is really sad. It's really sad, but there's just so much, so much clothing gets donated that there just isn't enough out. There aren't enough people who need it or want it. And like you were saying, clothing is really, it's produced cheaply. And I don't know if you knew this, Katie, but clothing is cheaper now than at any point in history. Mm -hmm. The average family spends less of their total budget on clothing, um, like significantly less. I can't remember the stat, but we own five times as much stuff. Exactly. So when you really put that in perspective, it's not like, well, it's a little bit cheaper, but we still have the same amount of stuff. No, we have five times as many things and it's cheaper. Making clothing 
really inexpensive. So a lot of places, I mean, I was at Goodwill. I was looking for some things to use for a TV segment. Actually, I was looking for outdated clothing. And some of the things at Goodwill were more expensive than I could have gone to a like a Walmart and bought. It was cheaper to go to Walmart and buy a pair of jeans there than it was at, at Goodwill. Wow. Which is, yeah, I know it's kind of shocking, but it, we just can't be dumping everything on those organizations. And I really do think it starts with buying less stuff because when does. you buy less yeah. stuff, you have to get rid of a lot less stuff. All right. So Katie, we talked about not buying as much stuff. What are just a couple other things that we can do to make sure that we are lightening others' burdens when it comes to our things? Always ask, please just ask before. <laughs> But here's the thing, because there's a kind of caveat to that, because how many people in your life do you know who might be afraid to say, no, I don't want that? Like they might be like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So it's almost like you have to know the person on a pretty in-depth level <laughs> to know like if they actually want it. And then on a, on another aspect, like, do you think they'll actually use it? Right. Cause you might go, oh, my sister my, you know, she said she's interested in having this bag of clothes, but I already know that there's six bags of clothes sitting on the bottom of her closet from the last time, yeah. you know, I took these over. And so I really think it starts with us. Like, let's get to the root of it. Why do we want to buy stuff in the first place? How can we, you know, set our intentions, understand our better, understand our values and in turn make choices that align with those values. So we can achieve a lot more in life than, uh, you know, clutter would typically allow that. I love that. I guess the other thing we, I love the idea of just asking. And then the other side of that is just don't be afraid to say no. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just say, no, we're good. So I have my older sister and I, we both have girls. So I have a 12 year old. She's got a 10 year old. I have a nine year old. So I buy things that then get handed down to my niece that then come back to my other daughter. And in the meantime, she's buying things for her daughter that come to my daughter and it works out really well, really well. Right. So there's always sort of a steady supply of, of clothing coming in, but there is no hard feelings when, you know, my younger daughter will go through things and she and my niece have very, very different styles, very different styles. And my daughter would be like, no, no, don't want it. No, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal. No, she is. She's, she's hardcore. Uh, but maybe adopting a little bit of my little one and just, you know, maybe in a nicer way, but don't take things that you're not going to use. Don't, you know, and, and so we leave them with my older sister and she can deal with them. Yeah. And don't take things that that you're not going to use and don't take it personally. Yes. Don't take it personally when it's not their style. Right. Like, yeah, we get so attached to our things and we, you know, it's hard. Like if my niece doesn't want something that I bought for my daughter, I'd be like, but that was beautiful. Right. Right. Okay. But not for her. She's got a completely different style. So Mm -hmm. we do, we just get really, um, attached to our things because it is a statement of us in Mm -hmm. some ways, but you have to remember that you know, it's not personal. If somebody doesn't want your things, they just don't need things and that's okay. All right. So the last question I like to ask all of my guests is what would you like our listeners to really take away from our conversation today? Is there just one or two things that you want our style sisters to walk away with? Yeah, I would, my advice would be getting rid of items can just serve as a great reminder that stuff doesn't last forever and neither do we. So just, you know, simply by decluttering and starting to go through our things can just serve as a really great reminder of who you are, you know, how you see yourself 
how you want others to see you now and, you know, your legacy, right. Which is not what a lot of people tend to think about, right. It life is kind of about more, more, more. How do I get more stuff? How do I make more money? But I think, you know, through this declutter process and Swedish death cleaning, um, I think, uh, that mindset reframe is a really powerful, beautiful thing, because when I think of what I want to leave my kids, my sons, whenever, you know, God takes me <laughs> in heaven, it's not 16 bags of clothes, yeah. you know, and to be able to edit that down and live my life still simplified. And, you know, like I said, I mentioned this all the time, live my life in a way that it fits my values is the biggest blessing we can give ourselves in our, in our families. That is such great advice. Thinking about what you want to leave behind, right. And not 16 bags of clothes or in my case, like 42 boxes of Christmas ornaments. I have a problem. I am fully (laughs) admitting it. I just love Christmas ornaments, but every year I'm like, Oh Lord, this is too much. I can't, I can't have this, but thinking about somebody else is eventually going to have to deal with your things if you don't. So I will leave it on that note, but Katie, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. So you can listen to my podcast on any podcast platform. It's called the Maximized Minimalist. And I'm also on Facebook under the Maximized Minimalist and then Instagram under Katie Joy Wells. Love it. All right. We will, of course, have all of the links in the show notes. Katie, thank you for being on the show today and helping us understand how we can keep our stuff from becoming a burden to others. Thanks, Jen. All right, ladies, go check out the book, The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. The link is in the show notes. Have a stylish week and I'll see you next time. Hey friend, thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to head over to the website for any links, downloads, or resources we talked about during the episode. Go to youreverydaystyle.com slash podcast and find the episode you're looking for. While you're there, make sure you sign up for our email list. You'll get a weekly style tip as well as links to my favorite product of the week to help make style even easier. It's an email you'll actually look forward to getting, so don't miss out. We'll see you next time. And until then, stay stylish.